We want to welcome every person here today, and we're glad that you've joined us. Today we're going to talk about the creation of man and answer the question, what is the soul? We're also going to talk about the creation of woman, her relationship to the man, her uniqueness, her role, and her destiny. We're also going to talk today from Genesis, 2, chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3 on marriage and human sexuality. These, these chapters also talk about the Creator's weekly rest day, the almost forgotten day. We're also going to talk about the fall of man and the consequences of the fall and the reality of a super mastermind of evil. And so these are the topics today. And we're also going to talk about the day when heaven is going to bloom again on planet Earth. Would you please take your Bible and turn with me and those viewing on television right across this great land of North America on 400 different television stations. Would you please turn to Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 down to 3. This is the third in the series on the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Today is Genesis 2 and 3. But we will start by reading these verses. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Two very wonderful things happened at the end of creation week. God made man, then God made woman, so God made marriage, and then God made the Sabbath. And it tells us, thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their vast array. Of course, that's a scientific statement. The vastness of the universe, the more we look through the telescopes, the more we see not just millions of suns, but millions and billions of galaxies. It's hard, my friend, to look up into the sky and see the vastness of the universe and be an atheist. The Bible says, thus it was finished in all their vast array. Yesterday I had an interesting experience. I had to have an ultrasound. I'm wanted to have a complete checkup. I didn't want to have any little surprises somewhere in Siberia where I'll be in just a few days' time. And so I had an ultrasound. I thought that was better than going to the movies. <laughs> uh, you know, you have these television screens and you can see what go is going on inside. I discovered a lot was going on inside. <laughs> And uh, I said to the lady, you know how you can increase your income in this hospital? 
out of a thousand oaks. She said, we're always interested in knowing how to increase our income. She was a good American, bless her. And I said, what you need to do is to get a 60-inch television screen and put that up there and so people can look at what's inside them in color. I said, you'd get more people come in. I said, in fact, I'd come back every week. But <laughs> as I was looking at the ultrasound, she said, now, here is your gallbladder. I'd never seen my gallbladder before. So she, she said, we're going to see if there are any stones in your gallbladder. She said, lie on your side because sometimes they slip down. So she, you know, looked at my gallbladder from front, back, center, top, and she said, it is a perfect gallbladder. <laughs> then she said, we will look at your stomach. She said, it's hard to look at your stomach. It seems to have a lot of air in it. <laughs> I hadn't been eating. I couldn't eat for a long time before this. So just understand, there was a reason it was like that. Then she said, we'll look at your kidneys. You finding this interesting doctor? Hmm? We have a doctor sitting here whom I married recently. I mean, I married her to her husband. <laughs> just wanting you to know, Beverly, what's going on here. Then we looked down inside my bowels and saw them writhing around like snakes. Because they are. They're moving all the time. Pumping, moving, working away. That's why sometimes you think you've got butterflies in your stomachs. I saw a cartoon once where a man was opened up by a doctor and all these butterflies were coming out. And the doctor said he was right. <laughs> so I, I saw all of this. And uh, I was talking to the lady because I'd like to talk about these things. And I said, how do you think all this happened? She said, what do you mean? I said, the kidneys and the gallbladder and the stomach and the heart. And she also, oh, I'm sorry. I saw my pancreas too. Just putting out the right amount of insulin, she said. Just, just doing well. I said, how do you think this happened? She said, I'm not sure. She says, it makes you think somebody designed it. Oh, I said he did. I told her then I'm going to Siberia to tell the people of the good news and that I'm into biblical archaeology and I happen to believe the Bible. She said, how can you believe the Bible when there is so much evidence for evolution? Oh, I was waiting for that. <laughs> this was at the time when she was just showing me my gallbladder. So I can pinpoint the time. I started on creationism. I started on the first law of thermodynamics on the gallbladder. And by the time we got round to my kidneys, we were talking about the mysteries of the DNA cell. And I told her what the first law of thermodynamics was, the first and the second law, and how the second law says everything moves towards decay, disorganization which is the very opposite of the idea of evolution. And then I told her about the probability of life just starting by itself. And I told her how we had the tiger came to control the audience. I said, we have a rather restless audience at the Community Adventist Fellowship, so we had a tiger along. I didn't really tell her that. But I told her the figure the number is larger than the electrons in the universe. 
and there's not enough time, not enough matter for evolution to happen. And when she le I left her, it took a long time, she said, to process me because she was continually interrupted. She said, it makes one think for a certainty that evolution is wrong and that there is a God. I said, thank you and I'll send you the bill. <laughs> Now, mm. <laughs> we're having a good time today, folks, aren't we? So, the Bible says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their vast array. Then the Bible says, the almighty creator God rested on the seventh day. And he blessed the seventh day, set it apart, he made it a holy day. This is interesting because not only did God make marriage that is under attack today, but he also made the Sabbath that most people have thrown out. That is why a book has been written called The Almost Forgotten Day. Now people have said to me, I would keep the Sabbath if I could only know which was the seventh day that God blessed. Well, I'm here to tell you today it's very easy to find out. It is the day that commences at sunset Friday and finishes at sunset Saturday. Let me give you just a little bit of evidence. I'm not going to get you to turn to these passages because I don't suppose we're going to have time to turn to everything today. But let me tell you this, in Exodus chapter 16, it tells the story of the giving of the manna. How the manna happened on the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, and on the sixth day there was a double amount of the manna. And then on the seventh day there was none. And that happened for 40 years. I would say, my friend, a person would need to be awfully dense if after 40 years he hadn't worked out which was the seventh day. In fact, I would think that even us folks here in Los Angeles could figure that out after 40 years, don't you think? Yes, I think we could even work that out. And then the Bible tells me that the children of Israel for 1,500 years or so continued to observe rigorously the same seventh day that God told them about in Exodus 16. And then I read in the scriptures that when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came, he kept exactly the same day that the children of Israel was keeping. And my friend, the children of Israel, we call them our brothers, the Jewish people, have continued to set aside the same seventh day. And you go to the Jewish people and you say, which is the seventh day that God blessed? And they will say, it is the day that commences sunset Friday and finishes sunset Saturday. You would call it, generally speaking, Saturday. And so if you're wondering, can you find which is the seventh day that God blessed? Yes, you can. It's very easy. I discovered this too that there are scores of nations in the world today, scores of them, that in their own calendars have the word the Sabbath. Did you know this? I'm told that my 
beloved friend in the Latin world, the great Hispanic people, the, the Spanish nation, in their calendars, what do they have for Saturday? What is the word? Sabado, spoken here by a good Hispanic. Sabado. It is also true, I'm told, with the Greeks. If you look in the Greek calendar, spoken here by this Greek gentleman, he's told us it is so. And the Russians, they call it the Sabbath. So when I say in Russia, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, I'm quoting the Bible, they look in their calendar and it says, Sabbath it says that. Down there in Ethiopia, there are millions of Coptic Christians who continue to keep the same day that Jesus kept, which was the same day that saw the miracles of the manna, which was the same day that Almighty God blessed at the end of creation week. And the Coptic Christians today, by their millions, are keeping the seventh day, and they will tell you it is Saturday. So God bless that day. Now I'm perfectly aware there's come a change. People say the Sabbath was changed. Jesus changed the Sabbath. My friend, it's not so. The text, I say this to you in courtesy, that says that the Sabbath was changed is like the missing link. The only real thing about it, it's still missing. You see, it just didn't happen. They say the apostles kept the first day in honor of the resurrection. My friend, show me one text. Write to me, show me one text where it says it. It isn't so. We're told back there when God made the universe, when he made the world, when he made Adam and Eve, he made the Sabbath. I want you to think about this. When Adam and Eve were joined together in holy wedlock, do you know who gave away the bride? God the Father gave away the bride. And the first sunset they saw was the sunset of the Sabbath. The first day that Adam and his wife spent together as man and wife was the seventh day Sabbath. You see, God rested on that day, therefore it's the rest day. God blessed that day, therefore it's the blessed day. And because God rested on it, and because he put a tremendous blessing in it, it is also the best day. And for the people living today, it is going to become the test day. And you can read about that in Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12 and 20, but we won't go into that today. And as my great theologian friend, Dr. Samuel Bakiaki, he says that the seventh day Sabbath is a window on eternity and a holiday with God. Oh, people say it must be an awful burden to keep the Sabbath. <laughs> Who are they kidding? It's like somebody saying it's an awful burden to go to the Sheraton at Maui in, in Hawaii. It must be terrible going there. 
The Sabbath is a day when God says you can lay aside your burdens, you can turn off that infernal machine in the living room, the television, you can turn off the radio, you can shut the world out, and you can come apart, and with your friends, you can worship God. And you can look out of a window, and you can look out into the face of the universe, and you can look out and know that God is there, and you can know that eternity is going to reign again on this earth, and whatever happens, it's going to be all right. Whatever happens to me, it's going to be all right. I told you folks today about a dear friend of mine, Laura Eames, who has been diagnosed with terminal cancer in Australia. Beautiful girl, I baptized her into Christ, won her to Christ and her family. And I said to her last night, Laris, whatever happens, if God heals you, it is well. And if God doesn't heal you, it is still well. Because there is a heaven, and the Sabbath is a window on eternity. It points to heaven. It's a beautiful, wonderful, wonderful thing. There's a very beautiful expression that the Jewish people have. I love my Jewish brothers and sisters. It is Shabbat Shalom. Say it. Shabbat. Shalom. Shabbat. Shalom. It means a peaceful Sabbath to you. Yesterday, I had to go and see my dear Jewish doctor friend, Dr. Gindi, who has a practice at Agora Hills and also Lombard Medical Center, and he's a great doctor. That should get me in without any problems in future. Should get me in free. He's a Jewish doctor, and I've talked to him about our common faith in the Bible. And after he had checked me out and found that I was a perfectly physically fit specimen of humanity <laughs> and fit to go to Russia and take on the Siberian Tigers, I looked him over and I said, Doctor, you're not looking so well today. I said, you look very tired. What ails you? He said, you're a good diagnostician. He said, I'm feeling pretty tired. I said, that's why you need to keep the Sabbath. He said, I do. I said, it's Friday afternoon, and soon the sun will be setting, and you need to welcome in the Sabbath and come apart and have the peace of heaven come into your soul. Los Angeles is a rat race, and some of us live like rats <laughs> and we wonder why we are so strung out why we're so on tension sometimes so cranky short-tempered obnoxious mean and nasty one of the reasons is that we don't keep the Sabbath. You walk out in Los Angeles, people are crazy, rushing here and there. It's the same all around the world. God said, come unto me. Jesus said, come unto me and I will give you rest. The word rest is the same word that is translated in the Septuagint for Sabbath. I'll give you peace. 
I want to say to you today, the Sabbath day is a day for families. It's a day for newlyweds. It is a day when we come apart and recharge our spiritual batteries and get back to know God and feel better about God and feel better about our spouses and feel better about our rebellious kids and feel better about ourselves. Would you please come to Genesis 2 verses 4 to 7. We're having a good time today, folks. Mm, having a good time in church today. Amen. Genesis 2 verses 4 to 7. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, but there was, and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being, or as it says in the King James Version that we all love, a living soul, or as the Hebrew says, a nefesh kaya. I like to throw in a bit of Hebrews on occasion so that you know that I was educated once. But the Bible says that Adam became a nephish kaya, a living soul. Some time ago, I was listening to a great preacher whom I greatly appreciate. And he said, when God made man, he put into him a living soul. He took the dust and he put into him a living soul. That's not true. The Bible says, God got the dust, the earth. He shaped the earth into the form of a man. And then the great creator God bent low, and he kissed him with the kiss of life, and breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Adam did not have a soul in him. Adam had the spirit of life in him. The breath of the Almighty was in him. Adam didn't have a soul. Adam was a soul made in the image of God. This gives us a clue, dear friends, as to what happens when a person dies. If you don't understand this, you won't understand death. Creation, the dust, plus the breath, equals a living soul. When a person dies, here you have the living soul, and the breath is removed, and what is left is the dust. And what happens to the dust? The Bible says the person sleeps in the grave until the resurrection. And when Christ returns, God takes the dust again and he breathes into the dust the breath of life. And once again, man becomes a living soul. Would you please read on with me? And now we're going to talk about why you need to have lots of plants in the office. Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 to 15. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, 
in Eden. There he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is good and aromatic resin, onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigros. It runs through the east side of Asher, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but, and we'll talk about that in a moment. All of us here live in a city. This program is being produced in Los Angeles, about 10 miles from downtown Los Angeles. Did you know God never built a single city on this earth? You know why people fight so much, get so much tension? It's because we're so close, packed in. God didn't want us to live in cities. Man was made to live in a garden. I want to read you here. Beautiful poem. Listen to this. This is a poem written by a father for his son. Son, when you walk through the woods, I want you to see the floating gold of a bumblebee. Rivers of sunlight, pools of shade, toadstools sleeping in mossy jade. A cobweb net with a catch of dew. Treetop flowers against the blue. Dancing leaves and bright green flies and birds to put rainbows in your eyes. When you walk through the woods, I want you to hear a million sounds in your little ear. A scratch and rattle of wind-tossed trees, a rush as a timid chipmunk flees, a cry of a hawk from a distant sky, the purr of leaves when a breeze rolls by, brooks that mumble Stones that ring and birds that teach your heart to sing. When you walk through the woods, I want you to feel that no mere man could make this real, could paint the throb of a butterfly's wing, could teach a wood thrush how to sing, could give the wonders of earth and sky. 
there's someone greater than you or I. When you walk through the woods and the birches nod, son, meet a friend of mine named God. You strung out? Go for a walk in the woods. Wonder how you should spend the Sabbath? Well, go to church, preferably this church, the Sabbath morning. Then in the afternoon, and we just may do this today, Beverly. We may go for a walk in the woods where it's been snowing. Hear the cry of the birds and see the face of God. I said to the folks who work with me in my office, open the windows, let's get some fresh air in. Could you imagine saying that in Los Angeles? We've tried that and we've got to put gas masks on. But we said, I can't, you see, when I go to bed at night, I believe in going to bed with all the windows open. I like fresh air. If I could, I wouldn't have a roof on my house. Now, that's going too far, so we do have one. But let me tell you folks something. I said to my people who work in our office on the Broadway here in Glendale, California, I said to them, we need to get some trees in this place. I get sick of coming to this office and looking at brick walls. And so I said to my secretaries, go out and buy a heap of trees. Get a semi-trailer load of trees. You know why? They've discovered that people feel better, gets let, get, get less migraines, are less cranky, are more cooperative, and have a greater work output if they get trees in. So I said, get a bunch of trees. And so they went out, they got some trees, some beautiful trees. And as they carried them to the office in their purses, <laughs> I said, we are going to have a more efficient office, but we are going to put in trees. They have actually carried out scientific experiments. If you can work in a natural environment, you will be more productive and you will feel better. Man was not made, my friend, to live in an office or to work in an office or to live in a city. Man was made to live in the great outdoors and you need to get in the great outdoors. You say, are you dogmatic about this? Yes, as I am in most things. Because the book of Genesis is the guidebook and the book of Genesis tells us how to be happy and how to live. You see this? Now, I want you to notice Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17. And it tells us here that God gave a very strong statement. Verse 16, 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. I want you to notice the words of God. God said, you are free. I want to be free, don't you? America believes in freedom. There's a Statue of Liberty, but lots of people in this country are not free. Don't tell me that a person who is a slave to a system 
or a slave to tobacco or alcohol or any other drug. Don't tell me that person is free. He's a slave. A person who is only conscious of the color of his skin and sees everybody else through racism. Don't tell me he's free. He's a slave, my friend. But the Bible says you'll be free. God says you are free to do what you want to do, but don't eat of this tree. So God placed the human race under law. And I want every person here to know today that the commandments of God, as my dear friend George Vanderman used to say, and still says, the commandments of God are fences for the free. When God says, don't, God says it because he loves you. And the human race was placed under the law of God. And I want you to know today that the happiest people in all this world and the most satisfied people in all this world are the people who obey the law of God. The Bible says, God said, in the day you eat it, you're going to die. Now, some people believe that when a person dies, he doesn't die, he continues to live on. But that's not what the Creator said. God said, if you do it, you'll die. I believe the words of the Creator. I believe that when a person dies, he dies, and he sleeps until the resurrection. The Creator said, in the day that you do this, Adam and Eve, you're going to die. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But thank God it says the gift of God. Now please read on a little further, would you? And we're going to come now to something that I think is very beautiful. Verse 19, now the Lord God, that is Yahweh Elohim. That's the name for the Almighty, Yahweh Elohim. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, the tigers, can't you see it? The lions, the possums, the koala bears, all of those things, the little birds. God had made the hippopotamus and the rhinoceros, all of these wonderful, gorgeous, some of them funny creatures. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the birds of the air and all the, all the beasts of the air and all the birds of the field. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Listen carefully, because this is very wonderful. We now come. You're listening to me. We now come to the very 
crowning act of creation. God made the animals. He made Adam. But it wasn't finished. God makes the most beautiful of all his works. When I take weddings, I quote from the great Anglican divine, Matthew Henry. I don't suppose there's been a commentator or a preacher more influential than the great Matthew Henry. Uh, he lived about uh, more than 300 years ago. I have his commentaries and I quote from them. And in my sermon on the marriage, I always quote from Matthew Henry. You'll find that a famous Adventist writer, Alan White, also quotes from him and takes basically the same statement and puts it in her own words. But Matthew Henry says, notice how she was made? She was made out of Adam. Adam was made out of dirt. Adam was made out of dust, refined. But Eve was made out of dust, doubly refined. Therefore, woman is more refined than man. <laughs> Ladies, do you agree with this? Ah, uh, uh, but I'm not finished yet. I have other things to say. Wait till I get to Genesis 3 and we talk about how she ate the piece of fruit. But I'm building up by saying what I believe. She was doubly refined. And Matthew Henry says, notice how she was made. He says, she was not made out of his head to rule over him or under his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. So woman was made in all her beauty to come and stand beside man. In our world today, some countries much worse than others, women are nothing. The men think they're little gods. And women are nothing. And they're pushed around. They are simply the instruments for sex and for bringing children into the world. That idea is barbaric. And those who practice and believe that idea are not civilized. They're pagans. You get this? Beverly will be glad with me today. And so she was made to stand with him, stand beside him. Read on a little further, because here it talks about the creation of marriage, dear hearts and gentle people. Verse 24 says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Listen to this. God created marriage and God created sex for the blessing of the human race. It was God who created it. 
And I want you to notice this. I want every person here to get this so plain that nobody will misunderstand it. Today, there are some who are telling us, all this about men being men and women being women and that there is a clear distinction is all wrong. That's garbage. There's a book in the schools in North America and it has a picture of a dear little girl and she's saying, I've got two mummies. And the teachers are told, you teach the children. That's an acceptable lifestyle. Two mummies. Our little boy says, I don't have a mummy. I got two daddies. And the teachers are told, but that is an acceptable lifestyle. It may be acceptable to some, but it's not acceptable to God. The Bible says that God made men and God made women and I celebrate the difference. Amen. I celebrate the difference of women and the difference of men. Over there in Hawaii, the government is working on a proposition to recognize same-sex marriages. And some of the big corporations in this country that you know very well have said, we are going to recognize same-sex marriages. I want to say this for everybody watching on television. There is no such thing as a same-sex marriage. You've got to have different sexes to have the marriage. There's no such thing as a marriage between a man and a man and a lady and a lady. That's not a marriage. The Bible teaches the distinctiveness of the sexes and it teaches that men are for women and women are for men. Amen. And it tells us something else. If you want to have a happy marriage, listen to this. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they'll become one flesh. Don't try to establish a marriage with your parents. No kitchen has been invented or designed that is big enough for two women. <laughs> Don't go to mama and papa. Get out of the nest. Now, I know there are some extreme circumstances where young people have to live with their parents. It is not right. If you're starving to death, then do it. But the Bible says, leave your father and your mother. That is a command of God. And the Bible says, God's going to bless you. Now, I want you to notice now, Genesis 3, verse 1. Are you folks still having a good time today? Yeah. Mm, still with me? Uh-huh. Nobody sleeping today. I saw this brother over here nodding off a little, but I glared at him. Mm -hmm. Gave him the old look. You folks know it. Mm -hmm. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree? 
in the garden. Here is the mastermind of evil in the form of a serpent. The Bible teaches that there was a mighty angel full of wisdom and beauty. His name was Lucifer and he led a great rebellion. And this rebellion spread to this earth and he came down to deceive our first parents. So here we have the introduction of Lucifer. Verses 2 and onwards. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God said, if you do this, you will die. But the serpent said, you will not surely die and as many commentators have said that was the first sermon ever preached on the doctrine of the immortality of the soul you won't die read on when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom she took some and ate it she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Why? Why? Shame, fear, sin brings shame and fear. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Please notice, he came walking. Not running, as in haste to smite them in judgment. He came walking. The Bible says he came in the cool of the day, not in the heat of day, as in the heat of passion. He came in the cool of the day and he cried out, where are you? Ever since that day, God has been saying to his lost boys and girls, where are you? Ever since that day, Men and women have been hiding in the garden, but God still comes walking in the garden, not running, but walking in the cool of the day, saying, where are you? I tell you today, your God is looking for you. Will you listen to him, my friend? Will you listen to him? Will you let him find you today? Please read on. Verse 10, he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. My friend, that's what sin does to people. Sin causes us to be critics of the nearest and the best. If you're a critical person, my friend, it's because you've been listening to the serpent. The woman, verse 13, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? 
The woman said, the serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate. No personal responsibility. That is the very essence of sin. The government did it. I can't be honest because I don't get enough money and I don't get enough money because the government doesn't give me enough. The first lesson we must learn when we turn from sin is, I did it. I did it. I'm sorry. I take personal responsibility. Verse 6, 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you among all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers or the seed, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Thank God. In darkness there is light. Even though there is death, there is the seed of the woman. And the seed of the woman is going to come and be struck on the heel, but he will turn and crush the head of the serpent. The Messiah, the first gospel sermon, to the woman he said, verse 16, I will greatly increase your pains and childbearing. With pain you'll give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And that was a prophecy that came to pass. And men moved by an evil spirit became tyrants over their wives and over other women. But no Christian would ever, my friend, use this verse to put himself in a position where God never put him. This is the fruitage of sin. And don't forget it. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat of it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skins for Adam and his wife and clothed them. My friend, listen, blood had to be shed. Here you have the institution of the plan of redemption. The blood has to be shed to cover our nakedness. There's only one thing that can cover our nakedness, my friend, and that is the blood of the Lamb of God. Amen. Don't forget it, my friend. Blood has got to be shed. Our sin causes death. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from whence he was being taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So because of sin, our parents driven out of the garden. Angels were put there 
to guard the way to the tree of life. That's why we have been dying ever since. But there's one thing at this stage I don't want to do. I don't want to leave you. I don't want to leave you standing outside the garden. In the third chapter of the Bible, Genesis, man is outside the garden. But in the last chapters of the book of Revelation, there's a new garden. And the garden of Eden is back on this earth. And there are men and women restored to their original beauty and purity. And you can be there. 